born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. You have a Bible, take it and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 7. This is the second part of chapter 7. And I wanted to uh, read something to you because um, there's a friend of mine named Robert McCurry, and every once in a while he says something worth listening to. And I, I want to read this to you because it's about the new year. Okay, what about this new year? And um, he says, The dawn of a new year is usually a time of hope and ambition, of dreams for the future, thoughts of a better life. But it is a long time time since many of us look toward or forward to the new year with such anxiety, even dread. Only the naive, ignorant, stupid, or those who just arrived from another planet think or believe all is well in America. And if you listen to some of the politicians, you know that a lot of things are not right in America. He says, all is not well in America. The enemy is not coming. The enemy is here. What many have perceived to be the birth pangs of a utopian age are now in reality the death rattles of an era surviving on humanly designed life support mechanisms. This is not negativism or pessimism. And this is realism. John Walford, I heard him speak years ago. He loved to speak on prophecy. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And I heard him at a place and his speaking was so dry. I almost fell asleep. But the content of what he had to say was so true and so real. I'd much rather read his books than hear him speak because many could really write. And this is one of the things that he wrote. He expressed the current crisis this way. The world today faces an international crisis unparalleled in all the history of man. A tremendous revolution is underway in the international scene, in science, in economics, in morals, theology, and in the religious structure of the church. The world is aflame with the raw passions of men, ambitious for power and desperate to be free from poverty and frustration. An ominous cloud hangs over the hearts of men and nations. The nations are indeed at the crossroads, and impending events cast their shadow on every aspect of human life. The world is moving faster and faster like a colossal machine out of control, whose very power and momentum inevitably will plunge it into ultimate disaster. Apart from the Bible, the world does not have a ray of hope. Think about that. Without the Bible, 
without truth from God. There is no hope in this world. Because you can see that if you listen to men, even those that are running for office, they think, well, we, it's the economic problem, how we can get jobs, we need jobs, and all this that they're talking about. It's a spiritual battle. The problem is spiritual. People are not right with God. So we're trying to get wicked people to have success. Ungodly people that live wickedly, we are trying to help them have a good life. In other words, I guess you could say, the road to hell is being paved with good intentions. And I don't believe most Christians really understand it. But apart from the Bible, the world does not have a ray of hope. Our most brilliant leaders have not found an answer. World leaders, whether in Moscow or Washington, are troubled by the great issues which face the world today. President John F. Kennedy, before his untimely assassination, expressed the viewpoint of Western civilization when he says, I speak today in an hour of national peril and of national opportunity. Before my term has ended, we shall have to test anew whether a nation organized and governed such as ours can endure. The outcome is by no means certain. The tide of events has been running out, and time has not been our friend. Well, you know, he was assassinated. And there's a lot of problems back then. We were really in what we call the Cold War. The present world crisis is not a result of any one factor, but a concurrence of causes and effects which combine to set the world stage for a conflict which may quickly bring an end to hundreds of years of progress in Western civilization and establish new centers of international power, whatever the future holds. It is going to be dramatically different than the past. In this dark picture, only the scriptures chart a sure course and gives us an intelligent explanation of worldwide confusion as it exists today. The present world crisis in the light of the scriptures revealed the existence of remarkable components in almost every area, which may lead to a dramatic climax of world history. The present crisis in every area of human life all point to the same conclusion, that disaster awaits the nations of the world. That's what's waiting the nations of the world, disaster. And we who know the Bible, believe the Bible, know that one day Jesus Christ is going to come in the air and take all of us out of here. It's called the rapture. And then we'll be seven of the most miserable, wicked, tribulation years that the world has ever known. And then Christ comes back to the earth and sets up his kingdom upon this earth. Then there will be a utopia. Then it will be peace. But that's because the Prince of Peace will be here. Until then, what are you and I supposed to do? Now, as we study the book of Acts, you'll get a clue. And we'll show that in just a moment. But let me tell you what Thomas Jefferson also had to say. He says, can the liberties of a nation be thought secured when we have removed their only firm basis a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. America's current crisis could have been avoided if 
pastors had fulfilled their God-ordained purpose and function of being watchmen on the wall and sounding the gospel trumpet warning of encroaching enemies who infiltrate churches, marriages, families, and the culture at large with another gospel. It's wiser and less costly to build a fence at the top of the precipice than to build a hospital at the bottom of the gorge. Christians had fulfilled their purpose and function to be salt and light and keep themselves free from the world's immorality. Bad men cannot make good citizens. You understand that? Bad men cannot make good citizens. It is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. A corrupted public conscience is incompatible with freedom. You ever heard a guy named Patrick Henry? He said that. Modern-day evangelical, fundamental, Protestant, and Baptist churches are a hodgepodge of doctrine and practice, much like described in the book of Acts. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Some new thing. The Greek word signifies some newer thing. New things quickly grew cheap, and they wanted those that were newer still. That's because, see, people are not satisfied with what they have. Even Christians are not satisfied with the revelation given in God's divine word. They look to other people and other things for something new because they're bored. Or life has no meaning. They've lost the purpose of being found faithful to do what God wants them to do. And so that's why our attention span is not very long. That's why they have to have the television shows for a half an hour or an hour at the most, because our attention span isn't very good. Because we get bored quickly. And that's why whenever I have the power in my hand, the power, I can watch whatever I want. And then sometimes Betty comes in and says, I want the power. I said, I've got the power. It's my home. It's my power. Even many of those who insist they are contending for the faith fall into this trap by doing nothing more than recycling their pet doctrines week after week in their bless me meetings, whether they cluster together in a sanctuary with no desire or intentions to translate their faith into practical application in the real world. In other words, a lot of people go to church, even some on Wednesday night, and they hear the word, but with no determination that what they hear is going to ever change their life. In other words, it's going to be the same old thing. It won't matter what you hear. It won't matter what God's Word says. You're going to do the same thing you've always done. Nothing changes. And you're bored with life. And you are the epitome of the Christian example. And we wonder why some people have no fire left. Don't want to do anything. Fall by the wayside. The Lord says in the book of Luke chapter 6, Why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things that I say. Is he the Lord? Yes. If he walked in this room right now and gave us an order, would you argue with him? Well, Lord, you just don't understand the times in which we live. He's just liable to get upset with us. Now, as you study the book of Acts, remember this. He is preaching, Stephen, a new deacon, preaching an exciting message. But his exciting message is getting him into a heap of trouble. 
He is preaching a very controversial subject. He's talking about Christ, who is very controversial. And he's talking about the law. And he's talking about Moses. And he's going to say some things that's going to make them upset. But the prophets of the old prophesied concerning Jesus Christ that he would be controversial and that he would be a man that would be rejected of men, Isaiah 53. Let me just mention this to you. How controversial was Jesus when he came? His birth produced some controversy because there's somebody that hated him and didn't come to worship him. There's a man that did everything in his power to find him and to kill him. Just because he was called the child of the king. He was the king. Behold, is born unto you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He was born King of Israel. You know who I'm talking about, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ caused trouble when he was born. And his ministry caused a lot of problems. You see, if Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, if he wanted to live in such a way that pleased his Father, whatever it would be, Did you know he had nothing but trouble? Do you think you can serve God without trouble, without hardship, without heartache, without grief? That's why the Lord makes the statement. He says, a man who puts his hands to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He's not fit to serve. Because, you see, you can't go forward and plow a straight furrow if you're always looking back. You can't walk straight, you can't go straight, and you're going to go astray because your eyes are not on the Lord and what God wants you to do. You begin to look at people over there, and you look at people over there, and you look back at what you give up and so forth. And when I decided I had to serve the Lord, I had to lay all that aside. My daddy had a horse. The horse's name was Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y. Sometimes he'd let us ride this old horse. And this old horse didn't have much meat on the bone. Have you ever sat on a horse that didn't have any meat up there and it was nothing but a bone? And you talk about when the horse goes, when I got off, I couldn't walk. And I didn't really want to ride that horse very much. I did not have a very good experience. But my daddy, when he would plow, he put blinders on that horse. Now, you know why he put blinders on that horse? So that that horse would always have to keep looking straight ahead. And he would plow a straight furrow. Because, you see, that's what we are. We're supposed to be so focused upon what God wants us to do. Nothing else, no experiences, no people can change or alter that which we know. This is what God wants me to do. And this is what I'm going to do with my life. So Christ had a ministry. His ministry so angered the people in his hometown of Nazareth that they sought to kill him. He preached a sermon that called for unconditional discipleship and commitment to Christ. And that offended people and 5,000 gave up on there. Because you know what he said? That you've got to love the Lord more than anything else in the world. He says, you cannot be my disciple because you won't follow me. You have to make up your mind, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? The other statement is, 
he caused division among the people. In John chapter 7, verse 43, the Bible says, and he caused divisions. He caused divisions. In other words, Christ did not come to bring peace. He said, well, I thought he came to bring peace on earth. Jesus said when he began his ministry, he said, I come with a sword to separate men from their wives or kids, from their parents. And he says, it comes to divide. And you say, well, why, why would he say that? Because, you see, when you make up your mind to serve the Lord, it causes division. When you trust Christ as your Savior, that causes somebody else not to agree with you. When you decide as a child of God, I'm going to serve the Lord, well, then that means it's going to cause you to divide from somebody else. When I made up my mind after I trusted Christ as my Savior, I'm going to serve the Lord. Did you know I never had to give up any of my friends? They gave me up. They didn't want to be around me. Because every time I got around them, I talked about the Lord. I talked about the Lord. And did you know, that really bothered me. I didn't know in the Bible that I'm supposed to be separate and things like that. I didn't have many friends as it was. And at my age, I didn't have many that I could fellowship with. And there were times when I felt alone. Now I have my wife, but I'm talking about you still want to have somebody else that you can fellowship with. And I only had maybe one or two couples that was in the church. And we both got saved about the same time. And so that's all we had. I didn't come to a youth ranch meeting. I never went on a Friday night soul winning. I had never been to a Christian camp. I didn't go to a Baptist church or I didn't go to church. I didn't have, you know, a Christian school education. I didn't even know there were books in the Bible. I didn't know there was an Old Testament or New Testament. I didn't even know John 3.16. You're talking about starting from scratch and having to learn. But there's a price that you have to pay. His ministry caused division in the synagogue in chapter 9. He cleansed the temple by taking a whip and driving out those who had defiled the temple with their sin. He says, you have made the house of prayer a den of thieves because there were money changers. And they're changing the money into different weights and so forth and, and, and robbing the people of it. Made him mad. They didn't like him. They wanted to kill him. He called King Herod a fox, Luke chapter 13. He was accused of being in league with the devil. You know what they accused him of? That what you do is by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. In other words, they were giving credit to the devil for what he, had, he was doing. How would you like to do that? You're doing all the right you know to do. You love the Lord, you're serving God, and it seems like everything's against you. I used to think everything was against me. I mean, I had it rough. But anyway, every Friday, I quit school. Every Friday. But somehow, on Monday, I'm back in school. And then my car broke down. And I didn't have money to fix it. And I had to walk about a mile to school. And then I had to walk a mile home. And then I had to walk about a mile to work. And a mile back home. And then I was getting off at, you know, going to work late at one in the afternoon. And getting off about three o'clock in the morning. Would you believe this? I never got to bed until after 12 o'clock, and I was always up out of bed by 3.30 in the morning. I averaged two and a half hours of sleep a night for two years. That's what I average. And how I stayed awake, I don't know. But I never fell asleep in a class. But you see, if you're going to serve the Lord, it's going to be a controversial life. 
Because, you see, the devil is going to do everything possible to come after you. See, if I was the devil, and James wants to serve the Lord, guess what I'm going to do? Now, let's say Peter over here, he doesn't want to serve the Lord. Well, I'm not going to bother him. Why? He ain't going to serve him anyway. I'm going to go after this guy. Have you watched the elections at all? Who do they go after? The guy who's coming to the top. True. The guy that comes to the top, well, that's the one you've got to knock him off his parts. So everybody attacks. Well, we took him down. Now the next guy. And take him down. Then the next guy. Take him down. But that's what they're doing. But when they all get through, and whoever's the nominee, you know all those guys that said all those bad things about that person who couldn't win, unelectable, have got to get behind that guy and convince everybody how he's the man for the job after they done murdered him? And that's what makes it so hard. And that's how come sometimes the bad man gets in. Because the good men have killed their own soldiers. There's something wrong with this. But that's another sermon. He was accused of being demon-possessed. He was accused of blasphemy. Well, what did he say? Well, he said he was God. Can you believe that? Here's Jesus, and people say, he claims that he's God. Who in the world does he think he is? He was God. But, you know, they wanted to stone him because of that. He was hated. He was misunderstood. He was unpopular, rejected by the majority. The religionists sought to stone him, and eventually they crucified him. Was Jesus controversial? When you decide, you know, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm God's child. I'm going to serve the Lord. You are going to be controversial to the world. And they're not going to like what you say and what you do and where you go and what. It won't stop. But that's, that's the way it is. Somebody used to say, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. I had no clue. What do you mean, stay out of the kitchen? I'm hungry. And uh, I don't want the heat, but I still want to eat. But anyway, because of who he is, what he is, and the message that he had. His message caused trouble. Here you have a young man named Stephen. And buddy, is he causing trouble. He is giving them a lesson in history. He's already spent first 35 verses doing his defense of their attacks. Because they had said things against him. So he is defending himself. Now, remember, I don't see anything wrong sometimes in defending yourself. If you can defend yourself without telling a lie, putting a spin on it, speak the truth. And he is speaking the truth. He's answering their charges against him. They said he was against Moses. They said he was against the law. They said he's trying to destroy the temple. Now, he wants to explain what he means. By their accusations and what Jesus said and, and what he was teaching. So he goes through here. And so look there in verse 35. The book of Acts chapter 7 verse 35. This Moses whom they refused. Saying who made thee a ruler and a judge. The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hands of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. Well, why is he saying it? Because you see God says I have sent you all these prophets. And you have persecuted every one of them. And then he refers to Moses. How that Moses 
was going to be the ruler and the judge. And they mocked him and made fun of him. And he had to flee for his life. But he let the children of Israel know this same Moses that God chose, the people rejected. And then when Jesus comes, the same people that rejected Moses rejected Christ. And buddy, he doesn't pull any punches. So he makes a statement here in verse 30. He says, he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. God is using this little deacon to preach a powerful message. Letting them see that what God says is true. And it shows you the inspiration of the scriptures. Do you realize as you go through these, he's putting his stamp of approval on all these Old Testament prophets and books. All the way up even to Solomon and the temple. But the books that talks about Moses and the wilderness and Abraham and Jacob and down in Egypt and all these things. All these books that said these things, he's referring to them. So what he's saying is, this is true. The scriptures are true. You can believe them. Trust them. Moses said, a prophet will be raised up like unto him. Him shall you hear. And this is the one. He's Jesus. So he says here in verse 39, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Oh, the people were out, but their hearts were turned back. In verse 40, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, and as for this Moses, which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And he says, in a roundabout way, You think I'm against Moses? It was the children of Israel that turned their back on Moses. It was the children of Israel that wanted to go back down into Egypt. And you say that you're for Moses? And you want to condemn me because you say I'm against Moses? Why don't you look at what Moses said this and this and this and this? And that's what I believe. Why don't you believe it? Do you think he made them mad? Oh, he did. He did. He says in verse 40, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. And as for this Moses, and look what he says in verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. See there, he's writing and talking about this is written and it means it's true. O you house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrificed by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God Rephim, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away into Babylon. Now he's all the way up and taking them into Babylon, the captivity. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that ye should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. So even the tabernacle. It was Moses that saw this tabernacle, and they were designed it and make it just like Moses had seen because he saw the one that was in heaven. There's another one in heaven, believe it or not. So he says in verse 45, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. 
whom God drave out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. This Jesus here is talking about Joshua. Who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets. Do you know everything he's saying? He's saying, the prophets said, Moses said, the prophets said, blah, blah, blah. And he is validating what he was teaching with, thus saith the Lord. Have you ever heard preachers tell you that you must turn from sins to be saved and go to heaven? Does that mean you must turn from only the big sins or all sins before God will save you? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book, or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.